Another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by TheLines.com. My name is Eli Herskovich. You can follow me on Twitter by my first and last name at Eli Herskovich or follow me on X if you want to follow Elon Musk's guidelines. And you can follow Mo Noir, my co-host and the MLB baseball savant, at least in our Discord channel, which you could find the link over at TheLines.com. It's free and you can follow Mo on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it these days, at Monoir, and you can follow the lines at the lines US. Before we get started, remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever the lines releases a new sports betting video on any market, including this one, our NFL betting podcast, and the Megapod with Stephen, Matt, and Adam Candy. And there's no reason why I didn't say the first two guys' last names. Just putting that out there. <laughs> All right, so if you're new to the podcast, we break down our best bets on Thursdays. We'll also be joined by a guest today. It'll be Jonathan Von Tobel from VEASAN, and he's an NFL betting analyst over at one of the best sports betting networks across the country. So to recap, before we get into our bets, Mo was away from the podcast on Monday. He was at a poker tournament, I believe. Mo, explain to the audience why you decided to take time off from the best podcast in town. Uh, well, so we had the big WSOP circuit event here, uh, pretty much in my backyard this past weekend. And um, I didn't take any time off in advance because only like four or five players usually make the very final day of it. Um, so obviously small chance of that in a field with 350 entries or whatever. But uh, as it happened, I did make a very deep run, uh, was second of the final six that made Monday's restart on day three, did not win, unfortunately, uh, things did not go my way, heads up at the very end, but they did go my way a bit before that, so I did get second for 72K or something like that, 71K, whatever it was, it was uh, my biggest live cash a lot of fun, very good battles, uh, hopefully more in the future. But uh, yeah, really, uh, really great to do that. And honestly, a tournament I've always wanted to win um, for non-monetary reasons. You know, just this is the biggest event that we have here. So uh, I've always just really wanted to win it. No, I'm genuinely proud of you, man. Not to get all cheesy on the podcast, but I know how much you care about and how much time you invest in poker. So, I mean, that's a heck of a payday. That's a year's worth of salary for some people and maybe even more. So congrats to you. And if that doesn't tell you how serious of a better Mo is on top of how often he plays poker, you probably know by now after that little spiel. So congrats again to Mo and happy to have him back on the podcast. Our show is after off to an okay start we're four and three on the season so head above water in terms of not losing anything we're up a tad four and one myself on the year all of my bets in the discord channel again the link is over at the lines.com top right hand corner mo's nfl bets and he'll have a couple more on top of the ones that we discussed today they're also in our free discord channel last week just to recap if you missed Monday's episode. I lost Broncos minus three and a half. I also lost Denver survivor wise. So I am toast with my survivor picks besides our Katina one, which we get a plus one essentially. And 
We'll see how that goes for me. I don't know if you're involved in that, Mo, but I miraculously cashed the Dolphins-Patriots under 46.5. I know that didn't work in your favor because you had Pats plus three. You were probably hoping for New England to get to overtime with the Dolphins. I was watching that game on a plane back from L.A. So sweating a lot, not a live under, but sweating an under on a flight, I highly don't recommend it for anybody that wants to wager on a total while flying on a plane, let alone wager on an under. It's not fun. Mo hit with the Titans at a juice plus three, lost on the Bengals. Again, he was at that poker tournament on Monday and over the weekend. So he wasn't able to watch a ton of the games, although he got a bunch of video work in over the last couple of days. Any other bets you want to recap, Mo, before we get started? Um, I guess I was pretty uh would have been very fortunate to get that Patriots one home, it looked like. But I was happy with that Titans bet, man. I had some Titans money line. And, uh, yeah, they basically played the Chargers to a draw. So anything plus there, I think, on the Titans was a fine play. Uh, overall, it was just a pretty unexciting week, I think, for me. Um, and in general, it wasn't a slate that I was very excited about, to be honest. So <laughs> happy to be on to week three. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately... A lot of circus survivor equity down the drain with the Broncos. Yeah, that Hail Mary and probably P.I., even though the Broncos didn't deserve to win the game. I know they outgained Washington in yards per play, but you watch the second half and how Eric Bieniemy adjusted and then some against that Broncos defense. And we'll get into the Broncos a bit later on. I don't want to make this a full Denver Broncos podcast or anything like that. But we, Mo and I both, definitely lost a bit there with Survivor and myself on Broncos minus three. Not a fun sweat. Also, on the way back to the airport for me, losing that Broncos bet. But I digress. Mo, we're not talking about an underdog here, like your Titans winner. We're talking about a favorite that you're going to discuss. Bills minus six and a half at Washington. There is a juiced Buffalo minus six over at points bet. You can shop for the best prices over at thelines.com. Some great sportsbook promos over there as well. Total anywhere between 43 and 44 and a half. So quite a wide gap there. Spread was Buffalo minus five and a half on the look at headline going back to last week. Buffalo closed minus seven and a half against Vegas, which was a bit surprising considering the spot off of that terrible loss to the Jets on Monday Night Football. So Vegas money came in on Sunday morning, and the Raiders actually outgained Buffalo slightly in terms of yards per play, but Buffalo won the turnover battle three-zip and dominated with Josh Allen and James Cook on the ground. Obviously, Allen through the air. We mentioned that Washington-Denver game. Washington overcoming a 21-3 deficit. That's about all I'll get into the game from that perspective as I'll dive more into the Broncos with my bet coming up here. Second one that we'll discuss. Mo, how are you handicapping this game? When I wrote the look ahead lines article for this game last week, I was pretty surprised that the Bills were below a touchdown and they're still below a touchdown. So I think it's too, I, I think it's the line's not short enough, I guess is the way you technically put it but uh yeah I think the Bills should be at least minus seven if not honestly on the other side of seven here I mean we've seen the Bills struggle with the Jets before 
and that is a team that just seems to really give them problems as far as their offense goes for sure even if their defense has been pretty solid at times but yeah the Jets have just really really done a number on this Bills offense and I just don't think that has like that much bearing on how the Bills are going to play going forward last year multiple times you know the Jets did this to them last year too and then multiple times when they faced bad teams that were out of division opponents they just crushed them it happened at like four or five times at least they were winning these games by an average of like 20 points I put Washington in that category I mean I know that they just had a nice half of football against Denver but I still can't get that Arizona game out of my mind I watched that game and it was an atrocious performance I don't think Washington's good um I don't think the fact that this line barely moved off the hook, even though the Bills, or the look ahead rather, like it was minus five and a half, I think, and now it's it's up to like minus six, minus six and a half. Even though the Bills look like their normal dominant selves, it doesn't make sense for me to not move this up to at least seven. I think the Bills are going to dominate this one up front. Um, they have a good pressure rate so far. <clears throat> it's like middle of the pack, but... When you compare that to their blitz rate, which is the lowest in the NFL, that's telling me that they're going to be able to get some pressure here. My only fear, honestly, in that Broncos game was really that they have a pretty stinky pass rush. So I didn't know if they could take advantage of this um, offensive line for Washington, but I think the Bills can. Um, Maybe the Broncos don't have a good defense. I mean, it's definitely possible. Like They lost their coordinator who was good and multiple you know, good players from that defense last year. Like I know it was really good last year, but it might not be good anymore. So injuries um, too, especially ahead of the Washington game. And, and even coming in, like you knew the pass rush was going to be the weak point of this defense. And I just figured since Arizona has basically, you know, a college pass rush or whatever, like (laughs) at least Denver had professional players and could get a pass rush going, but somehow they got shredded by Sam Howell. But I am not really that worried about that happening to Buffalo. So I like Buffalo minus six and a half here. Okay. So I'm going to throw a couple counters at you. Not that I have a bet on Washington and just to kind of throw a couple of my usual disclaimers your way as well on the injury report. You mentioned bills and and their ability to theoretically generate a pass rush against Sam Howell. Leonard Floyd didn't practice on Wednesday. So just a couple injuries to monitor there. Jordan Phillips also didn't practice with an illness and Von Miller still out. And I believe on the PUP list for the first four games of the season. So in regards to Buffalo's ability to generate that pass rush that you brought up and is a fair part of the handicap those guys will certainly need to suit up even though it's still better than what Arizona brings to the table at least on paper I did upgrade the commanders quite a bit and while I'm lower on the Broncos defense than I was going into that Washington game I do think Biennemi deserves a lot of credit and we don't know what Sam Howell is yet in a negative sense or a positive sense So in terms of the two-game sample size where you could say, well, he performed well against the Broncos secondary and arguably bottom three, bottom four Denver defense, now what? You could say that in the other direction. Now what? Maybe Sam Howell is an average quarterback and maybe Washington will outperform the win total, which began at six and a half. So I do just want to throw that 
argument out there. I'm also very curious to see how Buffalo's offensive line holds up against this elite Washington defensive front. I know you brought that up with maybe not you didn't call Buffalo's pass rush elite, but especially if those guys are out that I mentioned, but Washington has a really good defensive line and though Payne didn't participate in practice on their side on Wednesday, but Chase Young was dominant against Denver, which you would expect when he's healthy. Seven pressures, one and a half sacks, 26.7 pass rush win rate, which was the fifth best individual pass rush win rate in the NFL in week two. So things to note there for Denver, or for Washington, I should say, on the flip side, if the commanders can get pressure on Josh Allen. Now, to your point, Buffalo has struggled against the Jets, especially against Robert Sala's defenses. And Allen, in particular, has had his issues with that Jets defense in regards to being able to avoid and make plays on the move against pressure when that hasn't been the case against teams out of his division, especially when it comes to the Jets. And Allen's cover rate against non-divisional opponents If Washington is to the level that you kind of expect even after that impressive performance in week two, Bills probably blow out the commanders or at least cover this game by at least a touchdown. So I get the argument for sure. I thought the counters that I brought to the table were fair, but if you're going at it from the angle that you're not upgrading Washington, I get it from your perspective. Yeah, it really seems like the Jets just have their number and maybe the Dolphins a little bit as well. But outside of those two teams, I mean, I'm really expecting good play from Josh Allen. So uh, we'll see if he, like, I definitely thought about the fact that he could be under some pressure here and flinging the ball out into nothingness. That's obviously the only like real concern here. Cause if he loses his mind, I mean, there's no telling what could, I mean, they almost lost a 17 point <laughs> favorites last year. So to the Dolphins in the playoffs. Right. And to that point, and maybe this applies more to Miami, and it depends how, because I mean, this is that's a great transition into the next game. It depends how batters watching this, novice or more experienced batters, look at situational spots. But Miami and Buffalo go head to head next week. So just something to keep in mind there. And on that note, Broncos at Dolphins is the next game we're going to discuss. Denver, a six and a half point road dog. So Miami, up from the look at line preseason wise, the line was sitting at three and a half. Now it's all the way up to six and a half. So quite the adjustment in terms of the current point spread. Total is also up from where it was last week. I think it was 47. Now it's up to 48, 48 and a half. And I threw this into the Discord channel along with in my best bets column, which you can find over at thelines.com. Again, the Discord link is over at thelines.com too in the top right-hand corner. So I mentioned not only are you getting the adjustment from the look-ahead line, but Miami barely covered. And maybe they got fortunate, or maybe the Patriots got fortunate because Miami did outgain New England in yards per play by just under 2.3 yards per play. And Tua is now the MVP favorite at some sports books, but you could also make the case that Miami is at their peak price point with the way they performed in their first couple weeks of the season. We've mentioned ad nauseum that Denver blew that matchup to Washington 
at least when you look at the game script, up 21-3 in the second quarter, Russell Wilson fumbles, then everything turns in the complete opposite direction for Denver's sake. And Washington wins that game by two, although they were up by two possessions in the final two minutes before Denver got on the board with a field goal and then that Hail Mary to almost put them in position to go into overtime. I will say for the people that are criticizing and for the betters that are criticizing Russell Wilson over the first couple of weeks, I mean, he's played at a top five level. Number three in completion percentage over expected among qualified quarterbacks. Number six in expected points added per drop back. And number nine in yards per attempt. Again, among qualified quarterbacks. Denver collectively, offensively, ranks number one in the league in points per drive. And mind you, that was a with a minimal amount of possessions against Vegas, which you could say, okay, that's a small sample size, but the efficiency in a small sample size, I definitely took into account, even though they were up against a a poor Vegas defense. Miami's defense on the flip side benefited a lot from a banged up New England offensive line last week. And keep in mind that the Patriots really struggle when it comes to explosive play rate and in week two, ranked in the second percentile in explosive play rate, which is not good. Definitely has a lot to do with Mac Jones there. Looking at Miami's not only exploitable pass defense, but also their run defense, they rank number 24 in terms of EPA per carry allowed. And again, that had a lot to do with the Chargers in week one. But you go back to their performance last week, and I think you got to take it with a grain of salt because of what New England brought to the table on the offensive line. An exploitable secondary, to say the least, without Jalen Ramsey. On the flip side, Denver secondary is exploitable in its own right. Damari Mathis, even though you have Patrick Sertan, Damari Mathis is, per pro football focus, the worst cornerback graded over the first two weeks of the season. So I'm not saying Denver secondary has a lot to bring to the table too. And then you factor in Stearns being on injured reserve and potentially out for the rest of the season. So if Denver's defense is going to play to the level that they have over the first couple weeks, I get the concern. Although Jalen Waddell is still in concussion protocol as of this podcast recording. So if he's out and he has the second highest yards or yak, I should say, above expectation this season. And I mentioned the look-ahead spot for Miami with Buffalo on deck. You brought up that playoff rematch going back to Miami just barely losing that game in the wild card round last year as two touchdown underdogs or right around that number. So I think this is a really good buy low spot on Denver and a sell high, especially if Waddle is out for Miami. What say you with my handicap, Mo? I'm I can't really get there on this one. Uh I mean I you're definitely not wrong about what you say about buying low, selling high, all that, and that's definitely true. But I don't know. This line's telling me that Miami's only like four points, whatever, four and a half points better than Denver, which seems totally insane like I feel like they're definitely (laughs) better than that like I said I don't know if Denver has a good defense um so I'm worried there especially considering they're facing one of the best offenses I also like I don't really buy into any sort of advanced passing numbers that really paint Russell Wilson as like 
a good player, especially at this point in his career. I never bought into them when he was with Seattle, to be honest, uh, mainly because he just gets so much value out of those deep balls. I think it skews things a lot because he, when he's not hitting those, he's not always moving the sticks consistently, and you can see that in their success rate. It's only 11th so far despite hitting multiple deep balls. Everything that you said, explosive play-wise for Wilson, and maybe that negates some of the success rate numbers is fair, but I do think the Dolphins got away with going up against an offense, like I mentioned with Mac Jones, that lacks any sort of explosive play potential. So I get your handicap for that matter and why you think Denver maybe still hasn't hit their plateau from a market rating perspective. But on to the third game that we're going to discuss, Mo. Falcons at Lions. This line sitting three, three and a half. It's actually minus three in terms of Detroit, minus 110 both ways. Total anywhere between 46 and 46 and a half. Falcons off to that 2-0 and start after hanging out against Green Bay and coming back, actually, for that matter. But they didn't cover the closing number. Green Bay 2-0 against the spread because the line closed Atlanta minus three after actually sitting at Falcons plus two and a half earlier in the week. Really goes to show you why getting the best of the number is so important. Detroit lost outright to the Seahawks in overtime and they closed as four and a half point favorites after opening, I believe, minus six or minus five and a half. So how are you betting this actually big NFC matchup? I faded the Falcons each of the first two weeks, and I guess I'm just going back to the well, fading them again. I was able to get the the good number on the Packers, so I ended up one and one there uh, so far, thankfully. If I would be 0-2 plus fading Falcons season numbers, uh, I'd be feeling pretty rough right now. Uh, (laughs) I don't know how this number is a field goal off of the look ahead. I am completely baffled by this. It was like five and a half, six. I know that the Falcons had a solid game on offense, but... First of all, in week one, they got pretty much outplayed by the Panthers. Okay, outside of a couple horrific Bryce Young turnovers, the Panthers were the better team from the the line of scrimmage for a lot of that game. Um, And then week two, uh, yeah, they did did play a stronger game against the Packers. But but this is not unexpected. Like, we knew the Packers were going to be a good matchup for the Falcons. That's why there was nothing but Falcons action basically all week last week. <clears throat> when the Packers opened as a favorite, and then everyone's hammering the Falcons all week. We knew it was a good matchup for the Falcons. The Packers don't want to be ran on, and all the Falcons want to do is run the ball. So this was a good spot for them. Um, Detroit has a bad pass defense, okay? I think we can all agree they have a bad pass def- defense. Not only do they have a bad pass defense on paper, but... They still haven't even gotten like Emmanuel Mosley out there 100% or anything like that. I think Kirby Joseph is hurt too, one of their safeties. And C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Yeah, he's out for the year, I think, or at least for a while. Yeah. This is a bad pass defense, okay? But how is Desmond Ritter going to exploit that? I mean, even like last week when he actually had some passing yards, I mean, his like advanced numbers were not very good. So, um you know, still mediocre in terms of like EPA and whatnot and just not doing anything to get Kyle Pitts involved in the game. And it's just a bad quarterback and a bad passing offense on the road against a pretty good team. Like I was low on the 
Lions coming into the season, I think, relative to the market. But we all know this is yeah. like a pretty good team. I, I don't think even for me, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, I thought the, the Lions were going to suck. You know, nobody thought they were bad, even if you were a little lower on them. I, I don't understand how the, anyone could think the Lions aren't multiple points better than the Falcons. So, uh, yeah, I think minus three is not a big enough line here. It's a fair point, and everything you brought up about Detroit secondary and kind of goes against the Lions taking them against the spread, but I understand your feeling on Atlanta over the first two weeks. The thing I will say, I, I mean, and this goes towards whether Atlanta faces a negative game script or not, and the Lions are able to put Ritter in a position to make mistakes because this Falcons offensive line is elite, and they're built to win the way they did over the first two weeks. I mean, you have two explosive running backs or at least really efficient running backs in B. John Robinson and Tyler Algier. Really good offensive linemen, especially at the tackle spots in Jake Matthews and Kayla McGarry, elite run blockers. And so is pretty much the rest of this offensive line. Detroit ranks 19th in terms of expected points per carry allowed expected points added per carry allowed so it really depends to me what kind of game script I mean and that also goes for pretty much every game but if Atlanta can rely on their ground game and can be ultra efficient like they have been over the first couple weeks that's my only concern with the Lions yeah I mean Bijan looks great right (laughs) so on the other hand you know Jameer Gibbs was looking very good in the snaps I've watched him too and uh they're gonna have their own beastly running back out there for sure because it doesn't look like david montgomery is going to be able to play so uh anybody who wants to watch running backs a little bit old school this is the game to watch for sure this week (laughs) yeah that's the weird part is this really is like an early 2000s offense and by the way i I will keep mentioning in it and hammering it home jesse bates number one rated safety on pro football focus that Bengals secondary really misses him and Large part of why Atlanta has had success on that side of the ball, too, especially in the defensive backfield. But fourth and final game we're going to mention, and this podcast really feels like an episode from last year because we're pretty much countering each other's arguments. So not to confuse the audience, but that's the best part of having <laughs> two betters that disagree, in a sense, on some lines this week. This game for at, sure. <laughs> yeah, which you haven't bet yet. To be fair, right, you haven't bet the Titans just yet, even though it seemed like you were heading in that direction yesterday when I mentioned the pick in our Discord channel. But fourth and final game we're going to discuss before we bring on our guest, Titans at Browns. Cleveland, a three-point home favorite. Some books also have it at three and a half total, pretty much 39 and a half across the board. I believe that three minus 110 both ways is over at Caesar Sportsbook. And as long as you're 21 years old or, of course, older and in a state where it's illegal, you could sign up with Caesars Online Sportsbook and bet legally. Use Caesars bonus code, the lines 1000. When creating an account, you'll get up to $1,000 back as a bonus bet if your bet loses. Terms and conditions, as always, apply. More details over at thelines.com. So the spread on the look-ahead line was Cleveland minus 4.5, minus 5. And the Browns lost outright to Pittsburgh on Monday Night Football, which, of course, skewed the market perception. And Deshaun Watson had those three costly turnovers, two resulting in touchdowns for the Steelers. But like I 
harp on every week. Turnovers are not predictive, even if you do think Watson has underwhelmed and will continue to underwhelm. Nick Chubb out for the year with that gruesome knee injury. I would not recommend watching the replay if you haven't already. But the irony to me, Mo, and you could definitely say the Browns backfield and downgrade the Browns backfield without Nick Chubb going from Chubb to Jerome Ford. And even though the Kareem Hunt signing looks nice on paper, his efficiency numbers were not good in the slightest last year. But the Chubb absence doesn't really matter as much in this matchup because the Titans have an elite run defense. They've allowed the fewest expected points added per carry this season, and their success in that regard goes back to last year too. So in order for Cleveland to win the game, they're going to have to have success through the air, which of course is on Watson. Titans rank number 25 and expected points added per drop back allowed even with Amani Hooker and Christian Fulton coming back this week. Tennessee secondary is still below average and still vulnerable. Watson, for that matter, number 30 in the league in terms in terms of expected points added plus completion percentage over expected composite rating and he's only ahead of Justin Fields and Zach Wilson among qualified quarterbacks in that category so the numbers don't really lend towards Watson having an efficient having an efficient performance against a vulnerable secondary, but I'm also not sold on the fact that Watson's skill set has diminished to the degree that some betters, NFL viewers, want to say it has to this point. I still think missing the half a season plus that he did last year still has the potential to play beyond expectations so far. If you want to go with the counter argument, you could say that Ryan Tannehill And what the Titans' passing attack brings to the table is below expectation and then some. Tannehill ranks number 25 in the NFL and expected points added, plus completion percentage over expected composite. This Browns defense, and Tannehill will be up against the best defense in the NFL, uh, and I don't think that's an overreaction to any sort of production that they put on the table the lowest offensive success rate in the NFL at 25% through two games and mind you offenses in general put up minimum 27% success rate so the fact that Cleveland is doing this and the final score in that Pittsburgh game didn't really show maybe what the true expected score should have been considering those turnovers that Watson put on the table even though again his numbers have not been great and then some to begin the season. Zadarius Smith and Greg Newsome, the second. Two injuries to keep in mind, though, with this Browns defense. But I do think the market overreaction is pretty steep, especially if you can get Cleveland laying a field goal at home. How are you gauging this line, Mo? Are you looking about Tennessee after all? Yeah, I mean, at three and a half, I'm definitely interested in Tennessee. Um Multiple key players banged up for Cleveland, like you said. Um, Chubb, obviously out. Amari Cooper, Zadarius Smith. <clears throat> These are critical players to have out there, I think. Um, although they have some depth in certain spots, like pass rusher, for sure. Uh, I'm not too sold on anything that's going to happen after Amari, though, <laughs> especially with how bad this passing offense looks so far. Um, I thought week one, honestly, was pretty easy to write off for Tennessee's offense. You know, Ryan Tannehill just torched it off, basically, and he that's not something he usually does. And 
with how Deshaun Watson has looked, um, he's really, really reliant on his supporting cast. You know, when he's struggling as much as he is, no Chubb, no Conklin, maybe no Amari. I'm seriously worried when I, especially my eyes jive with what the numbers are saying, which is that he's in Zach Wilson slash Justin Fields territory in terms of like <laughs> EPA and stuff like that. I just, I just don't know how either team moves the ball though. I mean, like you said, the Browns are amazing. I mean, nobody was higher than me on this Browns defense. And let me just say on a quick rant, I'm going to be pissed if yeah. I get to the end of the year and I lose my bet on Browns conceding the least points because Tennessee scored two or uh, Pittsburgh scored two defensive touchdowns. That is going to hurt. Okay. Uh, but anyways, yeah, this just looks like a Looks and smells like a 16-14 game to me. I don't have any idea how you can lay points in this spot, but you're a braver man than I am. I would not be able to lay one point with either one of these teams. So if one of these teams is getting three and a half, I'm pretty happy to take it. So those are our four games, our four handicaps for the NFL Week 3 slate. Don't worry. Week 4 is a bit more intriguing. I know these games kind of lack the excitement of your usual NFL Week 3 slate, but we do get a bunch of great divisional games in Week Number 4. Time to bring on our guest, Jonathan Von Tobel from VEASAN at MeJVT. He has had success and then some with his NFL betting model with Mitch Moss, especially in the circuit contest. So hats off to you, man, for what you and Mitch are, I guess mainly yourself. I know you want to give yourself maybe a pat on the back for what you've had to do with that model so far and your picks in the circuit contest, man. Seriously, big congrats to all the great handicaps you've had so far. All your bets, 10 bets through two weeks. Yeah, uh, you look, Mitch deserves, he's, uh, as I've said to other people, he has the most important title, which is investor. Uh, but in terms of work, uh, he hasn't really done anything. So he's invested his uh, time in terms of texting back and forth, and he went in halfsies with me on the Super Contest entry. So that's important. But as far as uh, the work is concerned, 100% on me. And as I've already told Mitch, uh, when we win it, I will stab him in the back, take all of the money and run off, and he'll never see me again. So uh, that's at least the plan. We'll see if it actually comes to fruition. But it's been cool. Um, you know, it was, a, it was an experiment. I had never built a model before so it was just hours of youtube videos and books to see what i could kind of cobble together and uh, early on the the cobbling has provided something pretty good uh, through the first two weeks so hopefully it can at least continue through the next week because we're up for contention for the first uh, three-week mini contest out there and the super contest for twenty-five thousand dollars. i think is the first place prize for the first three weeks so hopefully we can get it i think we'll need a five and a week so it's easier said than done yeah you're talking to a man that just or not not me, by the way, but you're talking to uh, another guy, Mo Noir, on the podcast that just hit in a poker tournament 70K. So we have some high-stake players on this Beat the Closing Number podcast. Always fun to talk with the best handicappers in the business. And me, myself, I didn't start using a model NFL or any sport till the last couple of years. So making a model is difficult and having success with it even more difficult. And for our viewers and listeners that are interested in what went into your model making process, if you don't mind sharing however much of the explanation mm -hmm. that went into it. 
Yeah, I mean, so first off, if you want to check it out, we have a journal going, what we've called it up at vcin.com. You know, from the very first entry, I've spelled out exactly what this model is. You know, it's a model that I built in Excel based on regression testing and and using that to then get projected margins of victory. It's super basic. It doesn't have totals, doesn't have win totals or anything like that. It just projects me, you know, home margin of victory and we go from there. So it's very rudimentary, but there's a lot of different assets. You know, I keep telling people, I actually got the book right here, uh, but, you know, I started with this, you know, statistics, sports models in Excel from Andrew Mack and, and did a couple of those books uh, as well as YouTube videos and, and built it out from there. So it, it's really rudimentary. It, it's based on heavily offensive statistics, quarterback statistics, because those are the most important positions and I can kind of pull and plug guys in uh, if they're going to be in or out and a few defensive metrics too. And that was kind of, of my own choice because first off, the correlation wasn't coming back really high when I was including a lot of defensive metrics. And also I think in today's day and age, football is so much quarterback and offensive driven that it seemed like that was going to be the successful way to go. So yeah, it's super basic again just built on regression testing and going from there in excel and if you want like a step-by-step breakdown of all of the statistics and everything i put into it i'm willing to share all of those too uh, but they're up in the first journal entry at vcin.com but some of the stats i'm using um, drive success rate that was actually a football outsiders metric that is no longer available so i've got to kind of tinker with that and see what i'm going to do because <laughs> uh, football outsiders is no longer there and while aaron shots uh, for those who don't know who was over at football outsiders did bring a lot of the dvoa metrics over to ftn he did not bring that statistic over so i'm gonna have to find a substitute for that uh, but turnover worthy play rate from quarterbacks a pff statistic same with pff passing grade a uh, net epa from nfl elo uh let's see uh, defensive adjusted line yards allowed dropback success rate i think it's what rbds SM or RSBDM. I always get the letters confused. Yeah. Uh, and pressure rate, which you can find um, over at Pro Football Reference. So that's a mix of the statistics that I've been using to kind of build this thing up and gone from there. So hopefully it continues to uh, kind of spit everything forward uh, and get some positive results. But that's a really basic view of what I've done so far up to this point. Sounds like a lot of the stuff I look at. So sounds like I need to build a model. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, what's cool is so I, I like because I've been very forthright, which is like, I think even in the first one, uh, I, the way I put it in the first journal entry was like, here's what I think I've built, but I'm not entirely sure. Right. So like, I've kind of been really <laughs> open with the fact that I'm really not a novice at this, but Twitter and social media really helped me out a lot. You know, like a, a lot of the different statistics I kind of threw out there, like, hey, what do you guys use? And a lot of people came back with a lot of different things and just threw them all out in there and, and at, you know, and rated the correlation and came back with some of the heaviest ones. So it, it, those are a lot of the important ones, right, that are worth using. And, you know, I know a lot of people like, for example, PFF passing grade, I think it is somewhat subjective because it is their own grading system by which they grade them. However, I like it because it at least gives me something along with two other metrics that are very quarterback related. So I can plug in those three metrics for any specific guys and get a sense, I think, of what the quarterback play is. You know, a good example is the Rams and Bengals. So the Rams and Bengals later this week, the original projection for the model actually had the Bengals by 11, but they was using a lot of last year's statistics. Well, I plugged in this year's Matthew Stafford and all of a sudden that thing came down to 3.3. So like those are the kind of things that really kind of helped me out in terms of the adjustments and the fact that the market, or excuse me, the model is actually really in line with the betting market by quite a few of these games. I think uh, according to my notes, nine games are within three points, seven are within two points of the betting market. So makes me feel pretty confident that we're kind of going along the right path. No, man, I give you props too, because you know this about, and especially, well, maybe I won't go down that lane, but you know this in general. <laughs> with people and models and gambling acts everybody has an ego so i give you a lot of credit yeah. for just I, asking I was gonna the question say the exact same thing i love the humility <laughs> yeah. i mean it's because there's so many people that just 
so such know-it-all attitudes in this industry and just yeah i want to dump on anybody that isn't on their level or whatever else but one thing i don't love <laughs> is that you like the commanders this week because i like the other side so tell me why i'm yeah. wrong so well, and he, this is the cool thing about this exercise, right? Which is, I actually don't necessarily agree with any like a lot of these projections. <laughs> but the way that our, our thing is for you know for anybody listening and watching. So what what Mitch and I are doing is we came to the agreement that look, we are going. I'm, I built this model. We're going to enter the contest, and whatever the five biggest edges are, we're going to use them. And you know whether we agree with it or not, we're going to use these things. And last week there were a couple I didn't really agree with. You know, for example, last week the Buccaneers were projected to win by ten point eight points. Justin Fields made me look a lot smarter with a pick six at the end to, to make that thing fall on 10. Uh, but it's not one that I necessarily love. So, you know, with this one, I, I would generally kind of agree with you where when it's spit back, you know, for right now, you know, the Bills are, are projected to win by only about 1.8 points. We can round that up to two, according to the model. I, I was somewhat surprised, but the more I kind of thought about it and the more we realized that this is a model that is built on uh, turnover-worthy play rate. Josh Allen's got a pretty high turnover-worthy play rate. You know, drop-back success rate, uh, that was somewhat average for him, right? Like, so many different little things, it kind of makes sense that the model would at least project a tighter margin than what initially was thought to be. So, it's not one that, it's not one of the five that I necessarily love. Of the five best bets it spit out, that's probably four or five. So, I would kind of, like, lean a little bit more in your camp. But I'm also personally not the biggest Josh Allen guy. And would it really be that surprising if they went out there to Washington, they just rush for, drop back the rest of those guys, and force him to beat them in a way that has really pushed him in his limits as a quarterback and a decision maker? I wouldn't be entirely surprised. So I will say it's the one of the five that is at the bottom of the, hey, I love that pick. You know what I mean? No, I get it. And I guess what you're saying is it's not your five-star lock of the week, unfortunately. No. Uh, those who are watching and listening will have to call into 877-JVT. I know that's not a complete phone number, but you get the gist. A lot more bets, though, to go through, obviously. I'm kidding. Around. Jonathan Mantobo is not a tout. So the second bet that we want to discuss, Ravens against the Colts. And Baltimore, a 7.5-point favorite pretty much across the board. How are you weighing this one according to your model? So th this right now, the, the 12.85 points that the model spit out is actually with Anthony Richardson, a quarterback. However, uh, when you put in Gardner Minshew in the statistics, it was actually only like 12.4. So there's really not a massive difference, at least according to the model, between Anthony Richardson and, and, uh, and, Anthony Rich or excuse me, and, and Gardner Minshew at this point right now. So I was kind of surprised by that. You know, I actually, and I'm a Colts fan, so you, know, you can take this uh, analysis as a grain of salt. In watching Gardner Minshew in the preseason and seeing him at times, I think he is a quarterback that has a reputation of being better than what he really is. Um, and when you really look at what the offense is, it's a lot of short average depth of target. It's a lot of safe throws. There's not a lot of dynamic um, play in an offense that is run by Gardner Minshew. And maybe that's a safe thing, right? Turnover, the play rate's going to be low. You're not going to have as many explosive plays, but you're not going to put the ball in danger. But at least statistically, with what I've been using and what the model is spitting back out, there, there's not a massive difference between those two. And I think one of the flaws of the model, which is maybe why you're not seeing too much of a difference between them, is that the the team ratings or the team statistics, drive success rate, other things like that are kind of weighing Indianapolis down because their metrics from last year and a little bit of this year aren't really that good yet. And so if it's a very offensive-driven model like this one is uh, and with a little bit of quarterback play in it, especially with the stats I've used, there's not too much of a difference right now between Richard and Minshew. So, and I'd also say... The model really does like the Baltimore Ravens for the most part. Outside of the matchup last week against Cincinnati, because the model does like Cincy, 
Had it projected to win by about 12.3 points over Houston in week one. Uh, have them projected to win by about 13 here over Indianapolis. So at the very least against some of the bad teams, Baltimore rates out really, really well according to the model. Yeah, I I wouldn't expect much difference between the quarterbacks in all honesty. Yeah. But uh, moving on to one that I am in agreement with the computer on uh, is the, the Lions. Um minus three minus three and a half depending on where you're looking came way down from the look ahead markets which were closer to six uh so what is the computer seeing on that one do you suppose because i think the lions should be bigger favorites so and this is one this is one i actually a game not even that i like from a side perspective but i like the process that led to this so one of the things that I did to start the season for guys like Desmond Ritter and the rookie quarterbacks, because they don't really have a large sample size of data to use, is for a lot of those teams and those guys, I use just an average quarterback. You know, I just went in and plugged in an average, you know, average PFF passing grade, average turnover, they play all of those things. Just give me a baseline, right? I don't know if these guys are going to be good. I don't know if these guys are going to be bad, but I just want to see what a team is like w- with an average number in there. And so this week, what I decided to do was, all right. Well, now we got two games with these guys. I've got two games of Desmond Ritter. Let's throw those numbers in and see what happens because I don't really like Desmond Ritter a ton. And that's when you saw the big difference here in this number. And, and there were some differences in some of the other numbers as well. But for this, the original projection was actually right in line with where we were at like right now. Uh, the original projection had it at about three points. And then I plugged in Desmond Ritter's numbers, and that thing went all the way up to 8.3. And that's something I'm more in line with. Like, I don't think Desmond Ritter's that good. I think you have a quarterback who's got a short average depth of target, who is not dynamic as a passer, who's in a very simplistic offense that is saved many times by the dynamic skill position players that he has. So it kind of jives with what I thought through the first two weeks. At the very least, the model's not a big fan of what Ritter's done at quarterback. So this is the one where this is like the biggest adjustment because I've actually put in now two weeks of sample size data with Desmond Ritter, and it just spit out that the Lions should be bigger favorites than what the market says. Next game we're going to discuss, Jets against the Patriots, AFC East matchup, and neither quarterback, I suppose, is really in line with at least the upper echelon of your model when it comes to Zach Wilson and Mac Jones, but you're still leaning with the home dog here. So why? You know, I I don't really know. This was one of the (laughs) ones that was interesting too. Like that's kind of like down near the bottom of the, of like the the five plays that I don't really enjoy only because, you know, I, I went in and I was like, okay, well, I plugged in like Zach Wilson, you know, from last year into the model for last week, and it gave me the play on the Cowboys. Well, Cowboys went out in late, late nine and a half, and they, they won and they covered. That was a good one. So it's got, I think, an accurate read of what Zach Wilson is. And then you plug in, all right, let's see what it's like against the New England Patriots, and it spits back, you know, a one and a half point win, essentially, 1.73 for the Jets at home. Now, the model does, for what it's worth, as what I have seen, the, the home, uh, home field for the model is worth about 1.8 points. So this essentially tells me that, you know, there's a slight edge, very slight edge to the New England Patriots uh, because, again, you know, 1.73, 1.8, whatever. You know, it's, it's that minimal edge. So it does view New England as a slightly better team. So I guess maybe this is just home field in there. But I was really kind of surprised to see this projected out for the New York Jets to actually win this game outright, um, given the fact that they have not played very well and that Zach Wilson doesn't grade out as a passer very well. So this is, again, one of those where – this is the experiment, and so we're going to roll with it and see what happens. It has led me well up to this point, so we'll trust in this thing here. <laughs> but it's just like that commander's play where it's not one I necessarily agree with to the fullest extent. Well, another game, finally, that we wanted to hit on was yes. the Chiefs um, hosting the Bears. Obviously very big favorites. 
super curious to see what you say uh, on this one. Not only, so like kind of a two part here. I'm curious what the model says, obviously, which is basically the basis of everything we're talking about, but also curious what you personally think and how you adjust in a situation where there's like an organization that's just in complete shambles like the bears look like where like maybe a computer is not going to capture everything that could bleed out into their play this week. So this is, I think a pretty fascinating game because for the model itself for the first three weeks now include this week as you know, we haven't played games, but in terms of the, the edges that is spit out, it has been in lockstep with both of these teams or with both of these teams in that it has been uh, the five biggest edges the Chiefs have been included, and the opponent of the Chicago Bears have been included each of the first three weeks so far. So, and we didn't use the Chiefs for full disclosure week one because of the injuries to both Kelsey and Chris Jones' absence. We, as the way the model is currently built, I don't have a way to account for those guys' absence. So, in that instance, we just scratched it off the board, moved on to the next edge after that. Um, but after that, it projected an eight-point win over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Really loves the Kansas City Chiefs. That thing fell on eight, and it hates the Chicago Bears. And really. Again, because it's offensive-oriented and quarterback-oriented, it just doesn't really like the Chicago Bears offense and or Justin Fields. And it's funny because the initial time I put in the number and it came out to 18.8-point victory for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I was like, man, that, that's like really high. I, I don't really know if I love that a bunch. Like every other number is pretty much in line with the market except for a few, but this one's like really off. And then I plugged in. I was like, okay, well, let me, let, let's put in this year's Justin Fields. Let's see what happens there. It got up to 22. And so I was like, okay, like, I, I don't know if I can do that now. So let's put <laughs> this back down. And the more I thought about it, because I'm somebody last year that had an alternate win total under on Chicago that thought they were the worst team in the National Football League. And the more I kind of almost got like defiant, I'm like, no, like, I think the Bears are the worst team in the National Football League. Why would I not then think that the Kansas City Chiefs, who are now at full strength, have the capability of covering the 12 and a half, 13s that are out there right now and beat down a team that, as you guys mentioned, is in such disarray off the field as well and be able to take care of something like this? So this is kind of like the defiant one that I've kind of gotten more in line with. More like, yeah, you know what? No, I do believe in this number. And I am going to go out there with some confidence in here. I think that this is not the team Chicago wants to see. I think Fields has regressed as a passer. I think every statistic would tell you that is the case. And I think they're up against it here this week. So, yeah, it's an 18.83 projected margin of victory for the Chiefs, according to the model. Your model hates the Bears, and you could argue that Justin Fields hates the Bears after his comments on Wednesday. Unfortunately, we don't have time to get into JVT's NBA betting guide, but... Of course, that gives you more reason to head over to VEASAN.com to check it out when it's released, right? Jonathan, in the coming weeks? Yes, uh, October 5th is the date that we're shooting for. Uh, so team-by-team breakdown, all 30 teams, some really good articles as well about live betting the NBA, uh, you know, futures betting, all sorts of stuff that you're going to find in the NBA guy that will be up on October 15th, and along with best bets in terms of win totals, futures, and otherwise as well. So jam-packed, and it should be uh, pretty cool, futuristic, digital. We're kind of trying some new stuff with it as well. So look out for that thing to be ready on October 5th. That's awesome, man. JVT, one of the best NBA fouls around, and Mo will have some great NBA futures work and the like over at thelines.com too you could also head over to play.thelines.com if you want a chance to pick the kansas city chiefs with jonathan in our nfl free nfl betting contest and i my newsletter today also wrote about how this chiefs defense is elite which i know is music to mo's ears and jvt's i guess in a sense thanks so much for joining us jonathan really appreciate the time
Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for this edition of Beat the Closing Number for Mo. And for myself, Eli Herskovich, thanks for watching and listening to another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by thelines.com. So long, everybody. 